I don't know whether you heard about the uh, fellow who bought his mother a parrot for Christmas. And he called her a couple of weeks after Christmas. And he said, Mother, how did you like that parrot I bought you? She said, Oh, it was delicious. And, and he said, Mother, that was a very expensive bird. It could speak five different languages. And she said, Well, it should have spoke up. <laughs> well, you've invited me to speak up this morning, and that's what I'm going to do on this Harvest Sunday as you focus on the stewardship of your congregation and the ministry of your budget and all of your resources. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn to the book of Romans. Will you please, Romans? I want to read just two verses from the first chapter of Romans. And and if you don't have a Bible, let me encourage you to take a Bible in the pew in front of you and follow along and keep your Bible open because I, I would like to perhaps reference a couple of other verses as well. Romans chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, right toward the end of Paul's introduction to this uh, remarkable document called the Epistle to the Romans. Romans 1, verses 14 and 15. I'm reading from the New International Version. Some of you will have other translations. I'm obligated both to the Greeks and to the non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. My favorite psalm is the 116th psalm, which says, I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice and my supplication. Because he hath inclined his ear unto me, therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. The sorrows of death compassed me. The pains of hell got hold upon me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous, yea, our God is merciful. For the Lord hath dealt bountifully with thee, for thou hast delivered my soul from death, mine eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. And then the psalmist asked the question, after a litany of praise to God, What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? The question is, how can I repay God for all of his blessings and all of his goodness? How can, I, how can I give back to God in any adequate way an expression of thanksgiving for all that God has done for me? And he answers the question. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of his people. The idea is that we owe to God an unpayable debt for his goodness and his grace. Amen? Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. I cannot give back to God. I cannot give back to God adequately what God has given to me. I owe to God an unpayable debt. The older I grow, the more I realize how much I am indebted to people who have lived before me. Not only indebted to God, not only blessed by God, but blessed by people who have come before me. I come from a 
a family where my parents nurtured me and taught me in the faith. I, I have been influenced by congregations that invested in me. I, I went to a, a school, a seminary that was funded by people who came before me. I have been mentored not only in the faith but in ministry by so very many. I owe so much to so many people. I have been blessed immeasurably by others. I sometimes hear somebody talk about being a self-made person. I don't think there's any such thing as a self-made person. We, we, we stand on others' shoulders. We live in their shadows. We, we follow in their train. We are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. We are blessed. We are blessed immeasurably by those who have given to us and invested in us and God has used as instruments of his grace and of his peace. Amen? But this text this morning does not speak about owing an unpayable debt to God. It does not speak about owing an unpayable debt to people who have blessed you or enriched you or helped you, or served you. This text talks about owing a debt to people you do not even know. Or people who don't know you. Or people who have never done anything for you. Indeed, people who have never done anything for God. This is a text that talks about being in debt to people who are really rebellious against God and resistant to God and in sin living in darkness away from God, separated from God. This text talks about being in debt to a lost and dying humanity. If you please, a suffering humanity that is separated from the love and grace of God. And so this morning, I want to speak to you on your Harvest Sunday, not so much about the stewardship of your money or the stewardship of your time or the stewardship of your health or the stewardship of your resources to show how much you love God. I want to talk to you this morning about the stewardship of that which you have received, which is the greatest gift God has given you, that is the stewardship of the gospel itself. The good news of Jesus Christ, which has redeemed you and is redeeming you and gives you hope and meaning and purpose and joy in life. I want to talk to you about the stewardship of this good news and remind you that this gospel is not just given for your benefit or for your blessing. It is given to you as a sacred trust. And that as long as there is one person in this world who has not heard this gospel or does not understand this gospel or has not experienced this gospel, you are their debtor. You are obligated. You are a debtor to a suffering world. And that the call of the gospel is not only to receive it and be transformed by it, but the call of the gospel is then in stewardship and, with, and as a sacred trust, give it away. 
Paul says, I am a debtor. It's interesting how he divides humanity. He divides it into the Greeks, and the King James Version says the barbarians. Mine says the non-Greeks. And then so as to repeat himself both to the wise and to the unwise. Or as this version says, to the wise and to the foolish. In, In the apostles' day, humanity was divided into really those who were a part of the Greco-Roman culture, those that were the part of the Greco-Roman civilization, and those that were outside of it that were called barbarians. So he divides humanity, and he says, I owe this gospel to the whole of humanity. First to the Greeks, or to the wise. Those who have been blessed and privileged with money or education or by birth uh, status or by achievement, uh, position and power and authority, Paul says, I owe them the gospel. I grew up in a, a modest home. I didn't grow up in a poor family, but I grew up in a modest family, a middle class family really a lower middle class family. And I confess to you, I grew up in a culture and in a home uh, in South Fort Worth, Texas, where I really somehow thought people who had money and people who had position because of that money or people who had power because of their education and their status in society, somehow I thought they were different than me or I was different than them. And I confess to you, I grew up with a kind of, a, of an inferiority with people who had money and had position and had power and had status in society. When I was 31 years old, I went to pastor the First Baptist Church in Midland, Texas, a, a town about the size of uh, Roanoke. I went to First Baptist Church in Midland, Texas, and, and uh, it was filled with engineers and geologists and geophysicists and it was a, it's in the oil, it's in a Permian basin, it's in a rich mineral basin in West Texas at one time, one of the richest mineral basins in the world. So it's an oil-based economy. And so I, I confess to you, I went to a, a, a very wealthy and affluent community. In fact, when I, I went to Midland, it was the second highest per capita income in America. And so here I was pastoring a church full of wealthy people and powerful people and people who because of their education and their wealth had tremendous influence, not only in the oil economy, but in the national economy and the world economy. But you know what I discovered about people who have money and people who have power and people who have status? I've discovered they need the gospel of Jesus Christ just like anybody else. And I've discovered that they have the same needs and the same problems and the same challenges of life. In fact, in some ways, they even have more problems and more challenges than other people. They need the gospel. And in 1987, the First National Bank of Midland, Texas, belly upped. It went went under. It it went bankrupt. It was a part of a, a kind of a cycle of boom and bust in the old business. And it was the largest independent bank in the state of Texas and the second largest independent bank in the nation. And it went bank. It went bankrupt. And, 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 and on a, on a Friday morning, the rumor got out that the bank was going to collapse and people started lining up outside the walls of the bank and and they were lined up for blocks and suddenly people who had money and people who had power and people who had status suddenly lost it all 
And on the next Sunday morning on, 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 in worship, I preached a sermon entitled, What Time Is It in Midland? And, 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 and I was on television in all of West Texas and New Mexico. And, and the, the grandson of the man who founded that bank was sitting in, in his home watching me on television. And he called me Sunday night after church and he said, Preacher, I need for you to come over to my house because I need to talk about things that I need, to get re- I need to get straight in my life and I need to change in my life. And so I, I went over to Clarence Scarber's house and said, sat out in his living room with he and Carrie and we opened the scripture and they talked about their life and both of them got on their knees and prayed to receive Christ and within about two weeks they walked down the aisle and confessed their faith and were baptized and became active members and to this day they're, they're, they're followers and disciples of Jesus Christ and what I discovered in the conversion of Clarence and Carrie Scarborough and over a hundred other people of wealth and power is that those people in our community who are wealthy and who are the movers and shakers and the influential, the influential people in this city and in this community, they need the gospel and you owe them the gospel. I am a debtor to the Greeks and to the wise. And then Paul said, I not only am obligated to the Greeks, I am obligated to the non-Greeks or to the barbarians, to the foolish, those that were not a part of the educated class, those that were not in status, those that did not have wealth, those that did not have power, Paul said, I I want to give them the gospel also. I am their debtor. If you read Baptist history, particularly American Baptist history, you will discover that Baptists in the United States came from a very humble beginning. We were a people, really a poor people and a working poor. We worked in the factories, but we didn't own them. We worked in the fields, but we didn't own them. We, we worked in the shops, but we didn't own them. And we formed small congregations with an evangelical zeal to, to proclaim the gospel, not only to our communities, but we banded together in cooperative kinds of ways. And in 1814, the Triennial Convention was formed uh, by, because of a, a zeal for those small congregations to spread the gospel, not only in this country, but around the world. But as time passed, those little Baptist churches grew and the parents of those children sent them off to college and they came back to the fields and they bought the fields they once worked in and they bought the factories that they once worked in and they, they bought the shops that they once worked in. And so what happened over several generations, Baptist in the United States, particularly in the southern part of the United States, we became a part of the establishment and we, we became wealthy and we ourselves became a part of the established culture. And so we built beautiful stained glass buildings and we put in organs and we put cushions on the pews and air conditioned and we built gymnasiums and we built schools and colleges and, and hospitals and we became, we, became, we became the status in society. And one of the dangers that happened to us and one of the things that happened to us is that we forgot where we came from. And we forgot the people from where we came. And we forgot the poor. Paul says, I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. Therefore, as much as in me is, 
I'm ready to proclaim this gospel. Calvary Baptist, once you understand the church in this light, it will change forever how you function as a church. Once you understand that the gospel is not just for your own private pleasure or personal blessing or enjoyment or fulfillment. Once you understand that the gospel has been entrusted to you and you are a steward of the gospel, then it transforms everything you do. It changes how you see the, the, the role and the function of the church in the community and in the world. It, it changes how you view people. It changes how you view the, the people that are not only in your neighborhood, but the people that are in the world who you would even call your enemies. It changes changes everything. However, we want to divide humanity. We wouldn't divide humanity the way Paul divides humanity today. He said uh, Greeks and barbarians, wise and unwise, but however you want to divide humanity, whatever categories you want to put people in, the message is still the same. We are debtors to them. Black, white, brown, Young, old, rich, poor, gay, straight, educated, uneducated, high society, low society, Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist. However you want to put a label on anybody, the message is the same. We owe them the gospel. I travel a lot in this ministry that I've had now for 14 years and I... I confess to you that I have a little ritual when I'm on an airplane. I, I find my seat in the, in the, in the, in the wherever I'm, I'm assigned and I put my hands in my lap and I close my eyes and I meditate or I pray. Sometimes I'll read or sometimes I'll study, but most of the time I use my travel as a, as a time to uh, reflect and think and pray. And I was on a plane not long ago and I was sitting on an aisle seat and there was a guy sitting next to me on a window seat and we had taxied out on the tarmac and the, the uh, uh, stewardess had finished her, flight attendant had finished her statement. So we were just waiting to take off. And I was sitting there in my custom place and my hands were in my lap, my eyes were closed. And I heard this guy next to me going, ooh. And I looked next to this guy and he was acting like he was flying the plane. He was going, ooh. I thought, oh man, what am I sitting next to? What's going on here? And he looked over and he said, hey, buddy. He said, listen, we're on an exit row. Have you ever helped anybody off a plane in a crash? I said, no. He said, well, you need to read all this material. And he started handing me all this stuff. And everybody was looking around at us, you know, and snickering and smiling. And then he started doing it again. He started going, ooh. I thought, oh, man. He stuck out his hand. He said, hey, buddy, what's your name? I thought, oh, I'm not going to tell you my name. <laughs> And then he said, what do you do for a living? And I thought, well, I'm not going to tell you I'm a preacher. And he said, well, I'm a, I'm a Ph.D. professor in chemistry. And I thought, well, you could have fooled me. <laughs> and then he said, yeah, but I got fired last week. And I thought, well, I can tell you why you got fired. And he said, yeah, but I'm having a hard time. Something clicked in me, and I said, oh, really? He said, yeah. And so the rest of the flight, he just sort of poured out his life to me. He just sort of poured out his story. And he it, 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 it was a Christian man. He taught in a little Christian college, and he'd had a hard time, a lot of problems. 
And, but he just kind of poured out his life to me. And, and the plane was about to land, and he, re, he, he reached over to me, and he stuck out his hand. He said, hey, buddy, he said, and he called me Reverend, actually. He said, Reverend, because I told him, I did tell him I was a preacher. And, and he said, Reverend, would you pray for me? And I said, sure. And he said, no, would you pray for me right now? And I said, sure. So I reached over and took his hand, and tears were running down his cheeks. And I was ashamed of myself, really. And I, I thought of the words of Thomas Merton who said, this world would be a different place if every person we met, we, we saw them as a member of the body of Christ. Or at least as a potential member of the body of Christ. I, I went the other day to get my car tags. I, I had forgotten to mail them in. I went to the, DeKal I live in Atlanta, Georgia, and I went to the DeKalb County Tax Collector's Office. Now, if you want to go to a place that will bless you, go to the, you just go to the tax collector's office. And I had to wait for three hours. I had to stand in line for three hours to get my car tags. I mean, it was a blessing. I just, I know it wasn't a blessing either. I was so mad. I, I was so mad. I was mad that I didn't meet the deadline. I was mad that I was there. I was, everybody was mad, in fact. Everybody there, they was all mad. We, and I looked around me, and we were just all, we were all mad people waiting, you know. And one lady kind of came in. She, she got in, she, she had a warm-up suit. She, got, she was in a BMW, and she kind of just drove up and left the motor running and walked in the front door and looked around and saw everybody. And she said, now, what, what are you supposed to do here? And somebody said, you get in line. She said, I'm not going to get in line. Well, that was the wrong thing to say, I'll tell you what. And there was a woman there. Uh, I guess she, she worked for the county. She was kind of a cross between a sergeant and an Attila the Hun. And her job was to keep everybody in line. I mean, everybody was just mad. But not, however, there were these two guys standing in front of me, an African-American fellow. He was about 70 years old and a white guy about... 25 years old, and somehow they bonded. They got to talking to each other, and I stood there, and I heard their whole life story. They just bonded with each other. In fact, they hugged each other when they left. They were so, but everybody else was just mad. I looked around me at one time, and I said, God, I mean, because there was all of humanity there. I mean, all kinds, all stripes, all colors, all classes. And I, I looked around, there and I said, God, what do you think about all these people? And that little verse came to my, that little song came to my mind. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are what? Every human being is precious in the sight of God. I don't have time this morning to... Uh, there, there's this, this idea of the stewardship of the gospel will change how you see your church. This isn't your building. This building is a stewardship to be used for the gospel. We are not our own. We are only stewards to serve the gospel to the people who need it. This isn't this isn't our, our strength. This isn't, these aren't, this isn't our money. Our influence. Our time. It is to be used as a stewardship for the gospel. I say all this to you to hopefully encourage you. 
to ask you to listen to your community's cries and to look at your community's needs and listen to the Spirit. I was in First Baptist Church, Bristol, Virginia a month ago, a historic downtown church in Bristol, Virginia, 150-year-old congregation that's devoted the building, that's bought property so that they can house the social services for the whole city. I visited just last week with a pastor of the First Baptist Church of Wilmington, North Carolina, and he told me how they had mobilized their church to feed the hungry and house the homeless and visit the prisoners and provide ministry for drug addicts and alcoholics. Recently, I was at First Baptist Church in Fredericksburg, Virginia, and, and, and was overwhelmed at their missional vision to their community, particularly to internationals and immigrants. Just this week, I was in First Baptist Church in Decatur, Georgia, where Julie Pennington Russell, the pastor, has led that church to start a contemporary worship and small discipleship groups for the unchurched in that community. Last month, I preached in First Baptist Church, Washington, D.C., a 200-year-old congregation six blocks from the White House and heard how Jeffrey Hagray, who is an African-American, the first African-American pastor of that historic congregation, how he is calling them to focused and seasoned prayer and fasting to search the Spirit of God to know how to give away the gospel to, to, the, to the nation's capital. So on your Harvest Sunday, I want to challenge you about your stewardship of the gospel. To encourage you and to remind you of your participation in God's mission is not done in your own strength or in your own wisdom. It is done in the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you listen, He will lead. And if you ask, He will answer. I tell you one story and I'm through. In southern Sudan, where Christians are being persecuted and living in refugee camps, they started a little church that met under a tree. And it was meeting and they put a sign up on the tree that said Shekinah Glory Church. And then in Swahili, underneath that sign, underneath that, in parenthesis, is the phrase Center of World Mission. <laughs> I like that. You fulfill your debt. You pay your debt to this lost and dying and suffering world in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, let's pray together. I want you to take just a moment to reflect, to be still. To answer the question, Lord, what would you have me to do? And to answer the question, Lord, what would you have us to do? Here we are, Lord. 
Here we are. Send us. Send us into this community, into this city, into these homes that are around us, into the lives of people that we meet and see and those that we don't. Help us not to be afraid. Help us not to ask what our five loaves and two fish can do. It seems so small and so little. Help us to trust you. Help us, Lord, to be confident in your grace and in your presence and in your power that is greater than all of our weakness. But here we are. Send us. We say it in gratitude and in joy through Christ our Lord.